Good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome. My name is David. I am the pastor here at Redeemer, and uh, we are finishing up our last week of our series that we've been doing called Logic of Faith. Uh, If you haven't been here, this is a series where we have been trying to ask some of the why questions behind the what of Christian faith. We've been asking some really big questions about things like existence. Where do, why do we exist? Why are we here? Where does morality come from? Where do we find meaning in this life? Last week we talked about suffering. Uh, why is there suffering in the world? And um, this week, I'm really excited because we're going to finish it up in an entirely different way, as you can see happening behind me. But uh, before I explain what's about to happen, let me uh, tell you what's happening next week as we move towards Easter. We begin the season of Lent. We're going to do a series on the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. It's a uh, really fantastic book. Uh, in in so many ways, it tells a story um, that was really important to God's people as they moved from slavery in Egypt and became God's people moving into an, a new life and actually is super relevant for, for New Testament people, for Christians, as we move into the Easter season because what happened in the Exodus made and set the pathway for what happened at Easter. And so we're going to kind of work through the first half of the book of Exodus and, uh, and, and move from Egypt to Easter. It's going to be really good. I'm really excited about it. We'll start that next week. Okay, um, I, uh, there are people up here, uh, and they're going to introduce themselves in a, in a moment, um, and, uh, I'm going to explain what we're doing in a moment, but why don't we go ahead and bow our heads first and pray. Lord, we, uh, thank you for the chance to just be here and to gather and to, um, do something different this morning. I thank you. For, for Heather and Jacob and Jim and their willingness to come and share. I pray that um, you would give us uh, just ears to hear, uh, a willingness to know what it is you're doing in our life as we hear what, you're do- what you have done and are doing in their lives, Lord. I just thank you uh, for the chance that we get uh, to, to reflect on their experiences, to open your word and reflect on things that you would have to say to us. And um, I just pray that the, the words of all our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. First things first, let's do some introductions. I am going to have each of these folks introduce themselves to, to us. And, uh, and so, if you could please share um, your name, who are you, where you're from, job, education, uh, how I... Uh, um, and then I'm going to follow up with one other other question, okay? So, uh, ma'am, I know your name, but they don't <laughs> yet. Yes? Um, good morning. Am I, am I okay? So okay? I think you're Sorry. on. Yeah. Um, my name is Heather McHenry, and <coughs> I was born and raised in Rhode Island. I'm a little far from home, um, but I got here as fast as I could, I promise. Oh. Um, I was a law librarian before I became a stay-at-home mom, and right now I homeschool my children. Great. Okay, Heather, um, 
Uh, you're married, right? I am married. I and am married to a law librarian. A law librarian. That's very interesting. Two law librarians fall in love. Does that yeah. happen all the time? <laughs> yeah? Not really, no. But you guys <laughs> met at a law librarian we conference. We met at a law librarian right? conference, which is, you know, a, a rockin' place to be, apparently. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, we met at a law librarian conference, and we've been married. Uh, we've been together for nine years and married eight. You got two kids. We have three kids. Three kids, yep. Grayson, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we have two children together, and I have a, a son from my first marriage, and he actually still lives in Rhode Island. Great. Heather, I got one other question. Share one thing you didn't understand about the world when you were a kid. When I was a kid, I couldn't understand why everyone couldn't take their teeth out. So my dad, when he was younger, when y'all are just going to think my family's crazy, and that's perfect because they really are. But my dad, um, he was playing basketball when he was probably about 20 years old, and he got hit in the face with the basketball and knocked, or killed his four front teeth. Being the smart man he is, he didn't have health insurance or didn't have dental insurance, and so he went to the hospital and said, just take them out. And so they did. They did. And so he, um, he decided, because he couldn't afford dentures, there was a man down the street who made dentures in his basement. And so he went to this man down the street who had made dentures in his basement, and he said, can you just make me some teeth? And so the man made my dad some teeth. And so growing up, my father could take all his top teeth out, and I could not understand why everybody couldn't do this. And I was pulling and pulling on my teeth, and no, they could, just wouldn't come out. So. Wow. Basement dentures sound like quite the, uh, yeah, the thing there. Thank you, Heather. All right, um, sir, introduce yourself, please. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jim Weehoff. I am a uh, project manager on the International Space Station program uh, in my 30th year with NASA now. I uh, was born and raised in Colorado and also got here as soon as I could, so I enjoy being a Texan. Uh, my background is in electrical engineering, and I also have an MBA and uh, started playing guitar when I was 10 years old wow. and honored to get to do that here on Sunday morning. Great. That's awesome, Jim. Um, you are married, right? Correct. Yes? Uh, okay, there, good. Good. Just trying to keep you out of trouble, Jim. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> if you Jim, if you could grow up in any TV sitcom family... Wait, oh, okay. Yep, you're right. Jim, I'll give you the right question. <laughs> Jim... Are you more of a hunter or a gatherer? Explain your answer. I'm, I'm glad we didn't pre-plan this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am a hunter and a gatherer, at least in a couple of senses, and my wife will testify. I am definitely a hunter when it comes to being on time. Uh, I am almost obsessed with punctuality. I think I've probably tortured Charles a time or two on that as well. Uh, I, am more, I am more of a gatherer. Uh, when it comes to collaboration, one of the things I really enjoy with our music group is that we have a lot of really strong, creative people, and we collaborate well together. So. Great. Awesome. All right. Um, sir, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jacob Gage, and I'm originally from Baytown, Texas. Baytown is a great place to be from, not to live. <laughs> I, I grew up asthmatic around chemical plants, so you can understand why. So I work currently at Lonza. They are a biotech and pharmaceutical company. For the past 10 years, I've been in the medical center doing academic research for Baylor and work for a startup company. Um, so I've had a little bit of diversified um, experience. Married? Yes, I'm married. To, Nick, to Nikki. Just double checking. To, yeah, to Nikki. She's probably wrangling my four-year-old right now. Yeah. 
Jacob's wife, Nikki, is uh, the assistant children, family and children's director here at Redeemer. And, and you have kids, and yes, their names are? Uh, Joshua, who's four, and Julian, who's two. Great, great. Okay, Jacob, the question I was supposed to give you that I tried to give Jim. If you could grow up in any TV sitcom family, which one would it be and why? We want to hear justification. Sure. So this kind of intrigued me when I heard this question because... Um, not that I'm a huge watcher of MTV now, but about 10, 15 years ago, I remember a show. Who remembers the Osbournes? Anybody? Yeah, I, I think that would have been cool to grow up in that family. Say, Ozzy's my dad, and you never know where I would have been. Where would, where would I be now if I, you know? Yeah. You'd be riding the crazy train. That's right. That was planned. Just, just yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you for introducing yourselves. Okay. What, what um, we're also very interested in this morning is hearing some of y'all's faith journey. Uh, as we could tell, y'all have some jobs that require um, the use of a brain, and, uh, and I know that all three of you guys are, are, are very thinking people. You're, you're uh, mind-leaning people, and so um, I think it'd be really good for all of us to hear how they ended up getting to the, the place where they are now as uh, people who love Jesus and are committed as part of a church, local church community. And, um, and we just want to hear your faith story. So, uh, yes, um, Heather, I think you're slated to go first. Is that right? Yes. I okay, think great. I so I was raised a Catholic, um, but it was strictly a perfunctory thing. My father decided <coughs> that he wanted his children to grow up in the church. But once you're 18, that was it. You could be cut loose. He didn't care what you did. And so basically church was just check that box on Sunday mornings and you were good to go. So being raised a Catholic, um, we really weren't taught to question our faith. We weren't taught to question our beliefs. We were taught and that was all. And um, when you were learning these things, when I was learning these things, there started to be a disconnect between what I was being taught and the beliefs that I had in my head and in my heart. Um, so I went through the motions. I got my first communion and my, my confirmation, and then I got married, and there really wasn't a need or um, any way to question my faith or my belief system. So I had my first child, and I decided I was going to raise him in the church as well, and um, we had a great church right down the street that we went to, and I had friends whom I could talk about with my faith and my religion, but I wasn't really to the point where I could examine my beliefs, and it was bothering me. I, I had no way of understanding what I believed or why I believed it, um, and I unfortunately got divorced, and um, in the course of that divorce, I met my future husband, and Michael was a person who just believed. It was in his core being, and so I was able to ask him things that I was never able to ask before. And so one day we were having a conversation, and I told him about some of the things that I believed. And when I was growing up, my grandmother was, um, we used to go to a Latin mass right down the street. And one day after mass, we were walking out of the church, and there was a woman who was walking in front of us, and she coughed, and she spit out her communion wafer, and my grandmother scooped it up off the ground and put it in her mouth. And I looked at it, and I was like, I have no idea what this is, and I yeah. don't understand this. Delicious. This is just a wafer. <laughs> Why are you rescuing this, this wafer off the ground? And she said, that's Jesus. You can't let Jesus sit on the ground. 
and I just couldn't believe what she had done, and I couldn't, I couldn't recognize the things that I believed, and I was like, wait, I, I, don't, I don't get this. And so I told my husband that story, and I said, I, he said, well, do you believe that the wafer is really Jesus' body? I said, well, I think it's a representation of his body. He goes, that's because you're a Protestant. I said, I am not a Protestant. I am a Catholic. And then he said to me, well, do you believe you can pray to God? I said, of course I can pray to God. He hears my prayers. He goes, that's because you're a Protestant. And I said, no, I am not. But having this conversation with him made me realize the disconnect was okay. It was, it was not a bad thing. And being able to ask those questions and really examine my faith, he opened a door for me that I didn't know was closed. And so when I was able to walk through that door and really examine my faith and my belief in Jesus, it was almost like I was the last one at the party, like, hey, you're finally here. I was like, this is, I understand now. And, and I could examine with my head and my heart what I believed and why I believed that. So in this pathway, this door that now had been opened, um, I started examining the Bible in a way that I never had before. And so um, I wanted the Bible to be like a scientific text. I wanted to open it up and I wanted to say, this is proof that Jesus exists. No one can refute that. And it's not that way. The Bible wasn't meant to be that way. And it took a while for me to figure that out. Um, but when I was reading the Bible, I realized, are there things in this book that I can't explain? Yes, there are. There's tons of things in the book that I can't explain. But logically, I understood that that's the way the Bible is supposed to be. Because if my tiny little brain could figure it all out, I wouldn't be me. I'd be God. Mm -hmm. And I'm not God. I'll tell you that right now. So I, have to, I had to arrange my head to say, okay, I, I can get these answers. Um, and I know that if I look hard enough... If I look, if I ask, if I read, I'm going to get answers. But in the end, the answers weren't what I really needed. I needed to take that leap and put my head aside and let my heart take over and finally just trust that Jesus was my Savior. And in the end, that's, that's what happened, and that's why I'm here today. Awesome. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Um, no, you I grab the mic, sure. man. You're oh, up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful when you grab this thing. You got to yeah. speak apparently. A lot of power. Yeah. So, I would say that while my story, it's this is going to be a bit of a personal testimony tied into the logic and faith series because up front I would have said this was a, I had a logical stronghold, but underneath I had a greater emotional father wound that kept me from understanding the fatherhood aspect of God. And I didn't realize I was operating under that till many, many years later. So growing up, I would have said that I grew up in a nominal Christian home. We would have checked that box. In terms of practice, we would have been very far away from that. The word was very rarely opened up. Uh, my dad was emotionally abusive to probably all of us and physically abusive to my mother. And I saw that in a very early age. And, and I think that gave me also a very cynical view of the world and cynical view of just fathers in general because my dad had just really dropped the ball on that and we didn't make up till probably I was 18 years old and he had passed away when I was 23 so I mean I didn't there's a lot of things I left so growing up um, 
So I probably, I had a love for science, and I mean, I had this really inquisitive mind. I, I loved just asking big questions. I remember at eight years old asking my mom who made God. I just started <laughs> really having these thoughts just come to me, and but I also had the cynical view, you know, like I couldn't, I had, there's, there's okay, it's okay to be skeptical, but it's, it's bad when you, you, when everything becomes cynical. So, and I remember loving, in 10th grade biology, I remember brushing up against materialism when my 10th grade science teacher said that everything we think and everything we do is related to, it's because of a, a chemical reaction in our brains. And I didn't have a scientific rebuttal at that time, but I thought, no, that can't be true. I don't believe in materialism. I didn't even know what that worldview was, but I knew that's off the table. So at this point in my life, I'm basically a deist, meaning I believe in God. I don't think that he's, revi he's re revealed as Jesus Christ and, and God incarnate. And I don't think God is personal because of just really the misrepresentation that I had from my own father. So, I, so going further past 10th grade, and as I start to explore more of my college years, and I think I did what a lot of other kids do, is they think they have this aha moment, this great awakening, this, you know, eureka, like, I'm going to go find the answers that no one else has ever found. I'm going to look where no one else has ever found. And, you know, it, and they have this almost like this, they're blinded by your, their, their own arrogance where they think, like, I will, I will explore uncharted waters, and really these waters have already been explored and written by much greater thinkers that came well before our time. But what do you know when you're 20-something, you know? And so when I was 23, I think I even hit... Uh, a further point in my life when just the distance became between God and I became even further. It's when my dad died of lung cancer. And for me, I was just like, this doesn't make sense. Like, you know, if I, for what I did believe in God, it became even more just, I thought he was indifferent. That's where I stood at 23. And that sent me for a further nosedive in my life. And I didn't, I, I walked away from church for a long time. And and when I started coming back to church, it was more to do, like, humanitarian efforts. Like, I loved doing hurricane relief work. I loved serving. I had a very works-based mentality. That came from my dad, and that came from, like, wanting to please my dad and my grandfather. And that's what the men did in my life. They were, they were unlike me, they were very silent, <laughs> a strong and silent type kind of man. And, and so that was easy for me to get in there, and no one really asked questions. They're like, well, Jacob shows up, and he does his job, and he's not late, so he must be doing all right. But underneath the surface, I mean, I was a mess. And I remember exploring some bad, bad arguments. So the logical part of me just started, I started wondering, like, if everything we know about God is just speculation and not revelation. And I remember watching this, this <clears throat> film on YouTube. This two, it came out in 2007, directed by Peter Joseph. It was called Zeitgeist. Millions of views, terrible scholarship. It said Jesus was just a copycat of other pagan religions. Like, it talked about Egyptian mythology and Roman mythology, that maybe Jesus borrowed all the ideas from Horus and Osiris, and that he had 12 followers. And, you know, Osiris also died on the December 25th. And same thing with Mithras, Adonis, and Addis from um, the Greek mythology. And I just thought, well, maybe that's it. We, you know, we everybody's been just been grasping for straws and like no one could really explain God or another illustration is like four blind men putting their hand on an elephant you know someone feels the leg someone feels the trunk someone feels the body but they they don't know maybe we can't know and maybe the message is important but not the messenger and that's where I really stood but then I got myself on a real apologetics um, book which was Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ and that book was just so rock solid for me and the thing about it that I loved was that Lee Strobel like myself, had his own issues with his father. He was very angry with his father. And I was, I was pretty angry with mine as well. And I even felt further cheated at 23 that he had passed away. 
Um, so once I read that book, I felt like everything was really laid out. And I had this, so logically my questions were answered, but it exposed them to me in a greater emotional wound. And I want to say real quickly that, you know, there will always be unanswered questions on both sides of this argument of belief and disbelief. But the way Lee Strobel laid it out, and I read other books as well, but it was like having 985 pieces of a jigs of a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle laid out. And imagine this, this thousand piece jigsaw puzzle is like a sailboat on the water, and the 15 pieces you have missing are the, the land and the water. Do you really need all a thousand to see it's a sailboat? Yeah, 985 is pretty good, right? So logically, I was I was done. I was I was sold, but emotionally, the part that that really got me was I didn't know that God was a father, and it didn't really hit me until Nikki and I got married, and I was just like like my dad. My dad was a very bitter and angry man. My grandfather was also a bitter and angry man, and that's where I discovered. Um, Generational sin is a real thing. When Leviticus and Numbers talks about, I will revisit the iniquities of the fathers up to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me. Um, that's, that's very real. I think there's some, you know, I know we hear that song in KSBJ, like being a, a chain breaker, but there's some real chains that I needed to be broken in my life, and I couldn't, and I couldn't do that. I couldn't logically work myself there. But So when Nikki and I got married and six months into it, before then and even after then as I was changing, She'd asked me, why did you marry me? Like with tears. And I, I remember just thinking, I have no idea why we got married, but I, don't, I know what I don't want in a marriage, and I don't want what my mom and my dad had. So through basically a process of surrendering and going through some intense counseling, I was able to uh, yield my life to Jesus Christ in November of 2012. Amen. And what was interesting was God really, as he's known to do, he just really flipped this whole thing on, on its head. Like, he was like, all right, logically, you get it, but I need to work on your heart for you to understand this. And I remember just wondering how to do that because God had felt so impersonal to me for so many years. And I'll never forget, like, I started working through this, like, two years ago. We were going through, like, a little bit of financial mess. And I remember reading one day, like, this doesn't make sense. And I don't hear like my wife does. My mm -hmm. wife is very clear. Like, God, for me to, to hear it, he's kind of like, like it hit me over the head. Where it's like, I need you to listen. Like, I was reading Isaiah 7, 9, and in the ESV, it, it reads, if you will not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And I remember just reading that like, okay, I see what you're trying to tell me. So that was my journey. It started out as a logical one. I thought maybe I'm, you know, too strong. Not gonna let, I'm not going to let the emotions get in the way, but... That was the problem underneath. So I had a logical hang stronghold with an emotional barrier that was ultimately keeping me from understanding the fatherhood aspect of God and ultimately keeping me from understanding God's grace and that it's a free gift offered to all of us. Thank you, Jacob. So glad God gave you eyes to see, man. Yeah. All right, Jim. All right, well, as we gathered the other evening to prepare for this, we were all struck by some of our parallels. And uh, I also was uh, raised uh, as a young man in the church, uh, and, and much like the others here, it was an activity, it was something that we did, but it was never really personal, and really didn't have a lot of application outside of Sunday. So, you know, the rest of my week didn't really involve that. The rest of my week was about school, and uh, fortunately I was really good in school, and much like Jacob, I was very attracted to science, I loved every science subject, and I liked to 
tease the younger guys that I work with that I was GT before GT was cool. <laughs> um, so, so I, I was, you know, fortunately academic, academically did really well. Um, but as I got older, I started to see uh, conflicts between what I was being taught in church and what I was being taught in school. And so by the time I arrived at my early 20s, <coughs> I was really at that stage where I was like, you know, I'm out on my own. I really want to understand what I believe and why I believe it. And I was also really ready to break away from just kind of inheriting the, the traditions that I had from my parents. I wanted to find out for myself, you know, what was real to me. And uh, so I took upon, you know, an investigation. But the way I went about it is I thought, well, I'm going to look at some other uh, Christian denominations besides the one I was raised in. And unfortunately for me, that uh, initial exploration went into a very fundamentalist church. And the pastor there and one of the Bible study leaders that I met, I, I, I asked them some, some really pointed questions like, look, I want to understand how six days of creation squares with a 14 billion year old universe. I want, I want some to understand this. I want to understand why you guys think the Bible is reliable. And the response I got back was basically, the Bible is correct. Everything you learn in science is wrong. And that's all you need to know. <coughs> and, and I was... I was appalled. I was like, maybe I need to go talk to someone else. And I got the same kind of response. And it actually got worse. I, I had a person treat me like, you know, young man, if you just got your life right with Jesus, you wouldn't have these questions. And I was, I was like, I can't get my life right with Jesus until I understand these questions. So after you know, some amount of time with that, I really kind of felt like, you know, if this is what Christianity is about, if this is what going to church is about, you know, if your job is just to come through the door and kind of check your brain back there and don't use it anymore, then I thought, you know, this, maybe this just isn't for me. Um, you know, maybe I, 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 I just don't need this in my life. You know, I was fine basically without it as a kid, and I'll be fine without it as an adult. And so I established the, the popular label of uh, I am spiritual but not religious. Um, and I carried that from age 22 to age 35. And for me at 35, I came into a real crossroads in my life. It was a stage where, in my career, my life was going very well, and outside of work, everything was not going well at all. Um, I had been divorced. I was uh, very alone, very uh, unhealthy, both mentally and physically. Um, and, and to add insult to injury, I decided, since I had spare time on my hands, I would start playing guitar in a club band. Um, and it, you know, if you're not feeling good about your life, Trust me, at 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning when the bar is closing will not make you feel better about your life. You know, all I really found is that I was a sad and lonely guy surrounded by a lot of other sad and lonely people. And so uh, the Christmas of my 35th year, uh, something happened that had never happened before. I, I spent Christmas by myself. And, uh, you know, you, you really get an opportunity to be introspective um, when a holiday that's always been a family holiday is suddenly just you. And uh, one night, it was uh, Christmas Eve, uh, I was out on East Beach in Galveston just looking up at the night sky and kind of pondering my life. Uh, needless to say, I was alone because who in the right mind goes to the beach on Christmas Eve? Um, and, you know, and I just thought about how unhappy my life was and, and how this hadn't turned out the way that I really wanted it to. And again, I kind of revisited that thought of, you know, spiritual but not religious. And I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, if you believe in God, then that should matter in some way in your life. Yeah. And if you don't, then quit pretending. So I, I really went about the thought again of, all right, I, I really want to come at this again and figure out what I believe and why I believe it. And this time I came at it as a grown-up and as an engineer and a scientist, and I said, all right, 
what I will do is gather all the facts and figures and evidence that I can get, and I will eventually come to the conclusion that all this business about God and the scriptures are real, and I will believe. Um, and, and much like Jacob said, read a lot of great apologetics. I did get a lot of my questions and current concerns answered, which I found very useful. And I think even more useful was reading the life stories of some of the, the great men that wrote these books and did the research as you start to realize they went through a lot of the same things we did. Um, they had questions. They weren't happy with just the road answers that they were given, so they really wanted to dig into, I can't get faith here until I understand it here. Yeah. And, and the beautiful thing for me was is I finally realized at age 35 <laughs> that the questions I had as a young man wasn't bad. I wasn't wrong for thinking that way. And so I was able to say, all right, you know, I'm going to investigate this more. And, and not too long after that, I came around to realizing it's like the stack of evidence will never be tall enough for me to believe, but I know enough that I can now embrace in my heart the faith that I couldn't embrace as a young man. And so at that point, I said, yes, Lord, I do believe. And I don't know everything about you, but I know enough. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just I would encourage you, if you're still at that point where you're like, I'm seeking, I really want to know the truth, then don't let anybody tell you that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know, continue to search. God will not hide from you if you're really earnestly looking mm -hmm. for him. And, uh, did it change my life? Oh, I, <laughs> I could spend a whole nother rest of the morning telling you how much it did, but I'll tell you, I was a happier, healthier person. I've been fortunate to be married to a really lovely woman for 13 years now. And, you know, the guy that used to play guitars in a club now gets to do it up here on Sunday morning. So Amen. that's a change life. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jim. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, I think we all are so thankful for their honesty and their willingness to be very vulnerable up here and share their stories. And I hope that you guys um, not only were able to, to kind of hear where they're coming from, but, but my guess is that a lot of us hear some of our stories paralleled in theirs. There are things that you have wrestled with and heard and thought about experiences that you've had that you've got somebody who's been uh, there before right alongside you. And I would offer any of these folks as people who would be willing to talk to you about it, uh, including myself. But um, sometimes it's good not to talk to a pastor and just someone who doesn't have, um, you know, a mic on every Sunday morning. Uh, let me also um, finish. We wanted to close by, I, I thought it, it would be really good um, for, for us to hear just one thing from each of them that they think would be very beneficial for all of us to think about. Like, what is one piece of your journey? If you could give us one bit of advice, one urging, one exhortation, what, what would that be? Um, what is the thing that you would share with us? Uh, I think for me, it would be um, ask the questions. <coughs> Don't be afraid to find your truth and um, pursue it. Pursue it relentlessly because God will pursue you, and he does every day. And I think if you ask those questions, um, you gain the knowledge and you find the truth that your heart needs. Yeah. For me, I would, um, and this, is, this, this can be more difficult for men than women, um, depending on your upbringing, but I would say, Ask yourself if you have a logical stronghold that is a cover-up for an emotional one about why you're not coming to Jesus or why you think you may, may not need them, need Jesus. Let me, let me say that again because I think it's really important. Um, actually, why don't you say it again? Just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ask yourself if you have a logical stronghold for an emotional cover-up of why you're not coming to Jesus. And, you know, this is kind of a little bit outside of the scope of 
today's discussion, but, you know, my mom was a single mom for a little bit, and I would say moms, people that are divorced from divorced families, your kids need a strong Christian male mentor. I did not have that in my life. No one really came forward to even ask. I mean, even within family, it was just avoided. They thought things will work itself out. And honestly, and it, sorry, just... Go ahead, I'm, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I am so tired of people saying when we grow up in our culture, like, you turned out all right. Really? Really? We're, like, we could have been spared some heartache, you know? I, so I'll just leave it at that. Okay, thank you, Jacob. Uh, I think my one thing I'd like to say as a takeaway is um, I think it's, you have to be very careful not to get pulled into paralysis by analysis. Um, it is very easy to, especially if you have, you know, a scientific approach to your life or you have an engineering background and there's always that desire for one more fact, one more piece of data, one more thing I can analyze and then I'm going to have it all. Um, and, and, and my analogy for that is my relationship with my wife is that, you know, she, she, she wasn't a mail order bride. She, you know, she didn't just show up on my doorstep and all of a sudden it's like, well, marry her and have faith that it's all going to be okay. It's like, no, it didn't work that way. You know, we dated, we got to know each other, I learned about her background and her history, and she did the same with me, and, you know, what are your goals and aspirations, and I accumulated a fair amount of knowledge about her, but at some point, the knowledge alone wasn't going to build a relationship, so I had to really get to the point where it's like, in my heart, even though I can't put love on a scale, and I can't measure how she feels about me or how I feel about her, there was a point at which what I knew in my head transitioned to what I felt in my heart. And I really think it's the same thing with your, your walk with Christ. Even if you're a very logic-based person, don't, don't get so hung up in your head that you never let your heart engage because eventually it's, it's a decision of the heart that's informed by the mind and you've got to engage both. Yeah. Thank we were you. talking too about um, during our warm-up that there gets to be a point where enough is enough. You can gather all the information. You can stack up the books that you've read. You can ask the questions, but there gets to be a time where enough is enough and you simply have to give your heart over and say, this is what I believe. This is my life and this is what I'm going to be as a follower of Jesus. <laughs> Keep looking at that thing. And, and you know, one of the things you see in scripture is when, you know, Thomas, the apostle says, I will not believe unless I touch the marks of Christ and touch his side. And, you know, what does Jesus do? He shows them. He shows them. He clearly does. But he's also quick to add, blessed are those who have not, who have not seen and believed. You know, there's, I think that in the, this, the Psalms talk about many times where people are just, you know, just longing to hear from God. And that we can do the same thing. That God is very personal. But just like we've reiterated, yeah, enough is enough. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's give let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, thank you. I wanted to close uh, this morning with just actually two simple thoughts. Here's here's the first one. I I really wanted to be clear that this is a church where questions are okay. Uh, I do not want anyone to have the experience that Jim had. Uh, where he went to ask questions and people said, you just need to believe. Like, like I, I hope, especially if you've been here for a while, you've seen that 
we really try to engage deeply in some, some, some things that, that are worth talking about and worth examining. And we do it from a perspective of faith, right? We do this because we're here because we believe that, uh, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And that's a historical event that changed the world, right? Um, uh, but we're willing within that understanding and from that base uh, to engage anything uh, that, that, w- that we need to talk about. Uh, this is, a, uh, Mary Lee says it every Sunday, this is a place where we try to be real and authentic, and, and I think that's a core in who we are, and I'm just really thankful, actually, that, that you guys are making that happen, too, that you've been real and honest, and, um, and it's, it's just a good thing. Here's the second thing that I want to say. Um, I think that it would be a shame if we went through this entire series and at the end of it, I did not say to, I I did not give people an opportunity to follow Jesus. Um, I know that a lot of us are in a committed relationship with Jesus. Like we, we have faith, we believe that's why we're here. But I also know that there are people that are in different places in their journey and that there are some of us who have been asking questions and wanting to understand things and, um, and have been wrestling with, with all kinds of different things that are going on in our lives. And maybe some of those in, are in our head, you know, and we've been talking about some of those things that are in our head. And, you know, maybe some of them are in our heart, you know. And I, I think that it's really clear that both of those things can be part of what's going on in our lives. But what I would like to say this morning is that um, I think that, that today can be a day if you're one of those people that is, that is n- not quite there yet, where, where you really do stand at, at a door and you really do have a decision to make. Like, y- th- there, there are certainly other questions that can be asked. There, there are conversations we can engage in, but I, I think we need to ask ourselves the honest question, do I have 985 pieces of a thousand piece puzzle? right? Is there something else going on in my life where I am holding up logic as a deflection to keep me from, from trusting and surrendering my life to God? And, uh, and I, I want to say you, you, you can walk through that doorway into faith, and there's always going to be nervousness about it. Hebrews says, you know, faith is certainty of things that are unseen. And I, I have faith, and let me tell you, certainty isn't always as certain as that word might seem, but it's still an action that you do, and you, and you take forward and, and, and you live into. And, and it's also a place, I think, this morning where people can decide, I'm going to walk away. But let me, let me also say, uh, if you choose not to make a decision, you're making a decision. Um, you, you, are, you have to recognize that, and, and, and sitting on the fence is a position. And, and, and I think it's just important that, that we do the self-reflection to know where our, our hearts actually are and, and see what God, um, and, and ask yourself, is there a God who's pulling at my heart? Can, can I see the goodness of Jesus on the cross who died for my sins, who loves me, who deeply cares for me, who wants to give me new life, who, who is leading me towards a path that leads to, to uh, the best things that could possibly be forward for me? And if, if you're there, if you're feeling that, that draw, I would encourage you, today, today's the day. Today's the day to, to follow Jesus, and um, we're going to take communion in just a few minutes. And one of the things that I love about communion is that it's a chance for us every week 
to, to make a, an action of faith. It's not just this ritual that we do, but when we come forward, what we do is we say, I, I'm going to take Jesus's body and, and blood and as, as for my life. I'm going to receive this, this, this forgiveness. I'm going to live this new life as I take his life into mine. And, 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 and it's a way that we don't have to sing just as I am and sit here for, for, for you know, 20 minutes where I'm waiting for you guys to come forward. It's a non-threatening way for if, if you, if you want to have faith to, to, to come forward, to, to, to follow, make a decision to follow Jesus. And I just ask, um, if you do that today for the first time, please let us know. Uh, we we want to help you walk that path. That's what <coughs> the church is here for. And, um, and, and we want to we celebrate the good work that God uh, has done in, in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for Heather and Jacob and Jim. And I just, I thank you for the work that you've done in their lives, that you continue to pour out your grace in their lives and that your grace was present in, in their lives and drawing them long before they even were aware of it, Lord. And I just, um, I, I thank you that we have been encouraged and strengthened by their stories. I thank you that um, through hearing them, that Lord, you would in that, that that you can and you do increase our faith. And Lord, I pray uh, if there's just one person here today who's sitting on that fence, Lord, that that you would draw them to yourselves and they'd have the faith and the courage to step forward and follow you for the rest of their lives. We pray that in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen.